If you have fallen asleep at 7.30 on a Friday night, you might be a teacher. Teaching is crazy, fun, exhausting, challenging, rewarding, and did I mention crazy? And as Catholic school teachers, we are also entrusted with imbuing Catholic identity. It's a huge responsibility, but fortunately for us, there is Finding God, the amazing K-8 faith formation program from Loyola Press. It's innovative, engaging, and the most inclusive and complete program we've ever used. Multimedia? Check. Scripture? Check. Family resources? Check. Bilingual? Check. And don't forget, posters, worksheets, quick start guides, apps, magazines, lesson plans. Seriously, Finding God has all you need and more. Pray about it. Visit FindingGod.com and order a sample. Finding God might not help you stay awake later on a Friday night, but it will help you sleep better knowing you're helping guide kids toward a faith-filled life. Catholic Teachers Lounge with Jill and Colleen. Welcome to the Catholic Teachers Lounge, the only podcast by Catholic school teachers for Catholic school teachers. I'm Jill. I'm here with Colleen. We are grateful to be together again to laugh and explore and connect. Thank you to Loyola Press for sponsoring us and for you, the teachers, for doing what you do every day. Today, we are tackling a question that came up at a dinner conversation that we had with some excited um, folks who are parents, who are in the Catholic world and also connected to schools. And the question that we were discussing was this, how do you help kids hold themselves accountable? And um, what was great in this moment is that we turned to social media again, and I put that question to my Facebook friends, and the answers that came through did not disappoint. And so I want to talk through some of those answers today. But I'm wondering, Colleen, um, in your own experiences, how do you help kids hold themselves accountable? Guilt, Jill, you know, (laughs) healthy Catholic way. Um, Boy, okay. So again, thinking about my students and accountability and my own children in accountability, I probably approach this a little bit differently with each group. With students, though, I always tried to take a, um, I guess, a systematic approach and, and collect data. I, Mm. you know, even way, way back, you know, in the nineties when we weren't talking a whole lot about data and teachers, you know, collecting data in the classroom. That is something that I did. And it was, it was behavior data. It was achievement data. They were responsible for collecting that. And we, we did look at it in an ongoing way. So it was focused on, um, you know, the, the, those two pieces that work in the classroom and that's how are you behaving? How are you conducting yourself in the classroom? And then what is, how are you achieving? And being able to look at, well, that's a whole other conversation, but the students being able to look at data and find patterns in data, it's just a good, good practice, even Mm -hmm. for middle schoolers. Mm -hmm. I love that. And both of us have been, um, each of us have been working on that as we uh, help schools and help teachers figure out how to have a more, I don't want to say a student-centered classroom, because that's a pretty secular term for this, but individualized, personalized approaches for kids where they are accountable for their own learning and they pace themselves, because kids want to push themselves. They really do, academically. We all like to learn. We, you know, like just intrinsically, we like to learn. We were built that way. We were created that way. So Anytime we can reestablish that, I think, is a, is a win. But I want to share some of the answers that people shared um, with us, and we can kind of talk about them as we go, Colleen. All right, but, great, great. Um, this first one came from a uh, 
English Nine Honors teacher named Kendra Burns. She's at Cardinal Gibbons High School in Raleigh, North Carolina. And actually, her answer was very interesting to me because it sparked a kind of a side conversation with her because she said that several educators at her school have been participating in... um, in learning more about learner agency and about active learning and students making choices and really empowering students to establish accountability because you give them the freedom to take on that accountability and responsibility. And so, um, but what was cool about her answer too, is that I learned that they do some lunch and learns as a staff. And so you can come pop into those and learn things. So it's not a full staff PD session. It's a lunch and learn. And um, that's a great way to use your lunchtime in or out of the teacher's lounge, if you're up for it. Sometimes you just need a mental break, but it sounds like they are tackling topics that they want to learn about during lunch. Good. I like that. I I did I did work at a school. Uh, it was a high school where that was something that was offered to us periodically, and those lunch and learns were conducted by our fellow teachers. Oh, that's so, fun. Yeah, it, it was good. It was very good. Because then you can actually eat your lunch. You don't feel like there's a presenter coming in. You're just like, you're eating your lunch and you have a topic to to talk about. So that's that's cool. Um, A principal in the Diocese of Kalamazoo, uh, Shannon Murphy, uh, shared this. She said, help them establish skills to advocate for themselves. Um, Be supportive. You don't, you know, you be their support. Don't be their friend. Let them make mistakes, learn from them. All these things we know to do, but it's, sometimes it's hard mm-hmm. to do. Sometimes we like, sometimes I'm really great about this um, with my own students, but not with my own children. Like I, it's hard to let your own children make mistakes sometimes, but uh, definitely in classrooms, letting them make mistakes, it, pray with them. That came up over like more than once, but Shannon said that in her answer, make sure you pray for them, pray with them. And you're just walking alongside them basically as they make errors and they become accountable by actually practicing, really. So you just mentioned something that triggered in my mind, and I can't remember if I've brought this up with you before or not, but at the beginning of this episode, I mentioned that I probably approach accountability with my children differently than I did with my students. But Mm -hmm. one of the books that I read as a parent was called How to Raise an Adult, and it was very much about this is how you allow, you let go of your child. You let them, um, you let them make mistakes, you let them fail and you coach them through it so that they develop resiliency and independence Mm -hmm. and courage to be able to, to do things. And so that's extremely important to do in the classroom, extremely important to do as a parent as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember reading with a staff, uh, fostering resilient learners or, you know, like there's, there's topics here. There's plenty of reading to do. There's plenty of book studies that you could tackle with this just to give us mm-hmm. encouragement. We know this is true, but then in practice, it's hard because it's a bit countercultural right now because parents really enable their kids in a lot of ways in this generation. So I, I that's just, that's me kind of going off on a side tangent, but I think we, sure. we have to double down on this because, um, our students, our students need us to teach them how to be independent. Um, as we go. So, so that's good. I got a great answer from a parent that I want to share. This is a parent friend and she says she's talking from a parenting angle in her household. She is raising neurotypical and neurodivergent kiddos. And she says she fully agrees um, with others in this thread who said to involve the kids in the process. So we work hard. She says we work hard to try to set up an environment that encourages agency and responsibility 
we ask our kids what they need and trust their answers, which can be hard, frankly. So when her kids are involved in goal setting and making the plan to achieve those goals, everything works 10 times better than when her children are assigned goals or told how to learn. So, so many of the good ideas that, <laughs> that you mentioned, Jill, they all, they, relate back to universal design for mm-hmm. learning for me. And and that may be because I do look at classrooms through the lens of universal design for learning, but the importance of teaching children goal setting to engage in their learning in a way that is meaningful for them to be able to move forward to achieve a goal that they set for themselves, not that we set for them is incredibly important. And it is possible to do that from the the smallest child. And it can be today, I'm not going to hit my friend. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It it can be as simple as today, I'm going to tie my own shoes. That's my goal today to, you know, those, I don't know, more, more self-regulatory, I suppose, and more mature goals as, as children move forward. We set reading goals with kids, we set academic goals, but behavioral goals and, you know, just bigger bigger ideas, you know, as they get older and, but it's always developmentally appropriate to set goals with children. So Mm -hmm. I love that comment. Yep. Well, and then to add to that, um, Dr. Lindsay Ellis, who is a professor at Grand Valley State University, she said exactly what you're saying, collaborate with a kid on setting the goal (laughs) and also the frequency of the check-in. We assume like, oh, we should check on you daily or weekly or monthly, but let the students tell us how often they want to check in. That gives them another layer of ownership. Um, Another piece that she said, which I thought was brilliant for um, the nature of this podcast is saying, or go Jesuit and follow some sort of self-examination examine routine, you know, the self-reflection piece, we, we don't want to lose sight of for students to check in on themselves and then uh, have us kind of foster that in their lives, which is exactly what we're up to. So I appreciated her saying that. So, and that, okay, I find that really interesting. And I, I do have um, a neurotypical and a non-neurotypical mm-hmm. child in my household and one who is a verbal processor and one who is very introverted and self-reflective. And my, my self-reflector is the one that goes to the Jesuit school and every day does an examine. And so I do think he processes more inwardly where my other son is a verbal processor. And you do kind of have to go with the the style, the communication style and preference, but mm-hmm. still make sure that you're doing an appropriate type of check-in for for each type of child. It's not the same with every single child. Yeah. And for students to learn what they need, you know, is, is great. That's uh-huh. what we're up to. Oh my goodness. Uh-huh. That, that's the time. Okay. Here's our <laughs> bell. Thanks for the energy boost as we love exploring your ideas and affirming your efforts. Keep the suggestions coming. Keep the questions coming and tune into our next episode as we talk more about great ideas from fellow teachers. We'll see you next time. 